to the O oh for Food's Sake podcast, where we unwrap the joys and struggles of working in the food industry so you can thrive in what you do best while sustaining a rewarding and fulfilling career or business. We are your hosts, Lucy Wager, food industry consultant, and Amy Wilkinson, food industry coach. We've worked in the food industry for the last 20 years, and we're here to share with you the benefit of our hindsight. Our podcast is for you to find new ways to cope with the daily struggles, but mostly to inspire you to work on what's not working to ultimately improve your career or business long term. So hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of O oh for Food's Sake. I am really excited about this episode. We have Andy Wright with us today, who is Head of Sustainability at Greencore. The reason I'm really excited is because I have been doing a big piece of work for one of my clients on sustainability and carbon footprinting of their products. And I've been doing that for probably 18 months or so. And through that process, I have learned so much. And it's been a uh, it's been quite hard work. And <laughs> I've also re- recognized that there's a lot of talk about sustainability, carbon footprinting, carbon emissions, et cetera, et cetera. But there's not that much knowledge. And when we were introduced to Andy, or I think Amy introduced me to Andy, I was like, we have to get him on the podcast, <laughs> talk about this, because I just know so many people in the food industry have got a real intrigue and interest in this but don't necessarily know that much about it yeah and I I know nothing about it like I've not been like operational in the food industry for a couple of years now and it feels to me like it's it's almost like people know that it's something that they should care about and should do something about and do you know I'm likening it to pensions like it's it's, ouch (laughs) I don't mean that in a disparaging way like it's really blooming important yeah we get scared of it so we run away because we don't really understand it and we just like bury our heads in the sand so uh, I'm really really excited about this conversation as well so hi Andy it's good to have you here (laughs) yeah thanks very much for having me I was just to clarify it's not pensions like grey and boring so that's that's useful no no not at all like essential but scary scary and and sort of bit unknown so so first of all if you Andy could give us a bit of an intro into your background and how you came into your current role um what led you here uh, and then give us a bit of a, a background on sustainability and that side of things that would be brilliant yeah sure so I suppose going way back I had an interest, well, I suppose as a kid, I never really wanted to be anything. I didn't want to be a fireman, didn't want to be a spaceman. Um, But I did read a lot of National Geographic and um, I basically wanted to be Indiana Jones. Um, (laughs) That was my aim, exploring and finding treasure. Um, And I had kind of this love for the great outdoors um, and I did a lot of camping and mountain climbing. And I ended up um, kind of taking an environmental science route and I did a degree in environmental science back or environmental management as it was in 1997, um, which dates me. And um, it was one of only two degrees in the UK at the time um, on environmental issues. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's a bit weird in that I've kind of got bits of grey in my beard now. Um, 
I'm only 43, but I'm kind of one of the older people in sustainability because it's a relatively yeah. new. You're um, way ahead of your time, really. Yeah. I it's was really, really lucky. It's really <laughs> interesting, isn't it? That it's just not, you know, uh, it, the late 90s is when mm. it started to be, you know, people even could study it. Yeah, entirely. And now it's much, much bigger. It'll be in every mm. single university, I've mm. multiple courses on multiple different topics. Um, but I was really lucky. So I got, I went straight from university into a job with a sustainability consultancy, which was, in, it was one of those things that's impossible to get a job in, in terms of, you have to have three years experience to join. You know, mm-hmm. Where am yeah. I going to get through? Where'd you get the experience? Yeah. <laughs> but I had a brilliant um, tutor at university who also ran, um, he was a, a external who ran his own consultancy business and I managed to get a job um, with him to start with, which kind of kick-started and then yeah number of years in consultancy um and i had a number of food clients while i worked in consultancy um and one of them i they i did some due diligence work for and pointed out a load of issues to them and they said can you come in house and fix them for us Mm -hmm. so that was 15 years ago um so joined the food industry 15 years ago which is quite scary as well yeah, and I guess before that they probably didn't even have in in house experts. I don't remember there being. No. It almost used to be like possibly a little bit of like CSR. Yes, I was maybe, just going to say maybe something that the health and safety person maybe did a little yeah. bit on, but never a, a role within its own right. Yeah, and this is exactly when we were talking, Andy, when we first chatted. I said, you know, when I was at Sainsbury's, which was what 10, 12 years ago. There was the corporate social responsibility people. And when I think now how how much broader that must be at Sainsbury's, it's amazing, isn't it? The change that's happened in that time. Mm. Entirely, the issues have got much more complex and there's more of them as well. And I think there's every business is slightly different in terms of what they talk about under when we say sustainability, mm. it's a big umbrella term and it is mm. it's used for a lot of different things. I suppose I prefer in that regard to talk about, I, I often talk about responsible business more than sustainability. Okay. I think it's just got a bit more cut through depending on the audience. Certainly if I flip that round and think about what is an irresponsible business, I think people can kind of get their head around that a yeah. lot yeah. easier than they can. Um, what does What's included in sustainability, that's the kind mm. of thing. But I suppose for me, I mean, a lot of businesses nowadays will sp- split that quite conveniently into people planet and products when they talk about what are they trying to deliver from a sustainability perspective we're doing that slightly differently in my job at the moment we talk about essentially our value chain so sourcing making and feeding i.e we buy stuff we turn it into something we flog it Mm -hmm. Um, and then issues associated with each one of those so when you're sourcing products you're thinking about the responsible sourcing of the ingredients that we use or the human rights of the people um, uh, that work in our supply chains. The making bit is all about manufacturing and um, the efficiency of that process. So things like energy use, water use, food waste, um, potentially the communities that we operate within as well. And then the feeding bit is like the products. So the impacts that um, a product can have both from an environmental perspective, but also a health perspective as well. And then probably mm. not forgetting packaging that would always yeah. seems to get the limelight, but um, is yeah, we'll add it in. Just a little piece of the puzzle. Indeed. 
I'm I'm probably jumping ahead, but I might the question that I want to ask you is about your opinion on carbon footprinting and emission statements on packaging. Yeah. And the accuracy of them and how we think the industry is going to where it's going to go because this we're right at the very very beginning of this and having gone through a process i feel like there are big gaps already and it's great that we've made a start but i feel like there are things that are that can can be drastically improved and need to be improved but we just haven't got the ability to do it yet so that's, I, I could, we could probably talk for three days on that topic alone, but I'll try and give you a whistle. So essentially, I'm really pro on-pack communication because we've got to be able to educate consumers and give consumers a choice. The challenge is how do we do that? There's a couple of different branches that are kind of happening as we speak at the moment. So number of different brands and smaller businesses already put carbon labels on pack specifically a label around the carbon impact only. There's a piece of work that the food industry are underway with that um, I'm involved with at the moment, actually, on eco-labeling, i.e. not just carbon, but Mm. a more holistic approach to, is it, you know, is there a water impact? Is there a biodiversity risk? So a much broader view than Mm. purely carbon, Mm. which is really important that we do that. But it does make it more confusing and it makes it more complex to do the data analysis behind that. Mm. I think there's multiple bits to unpack on that. I think the challenge will come in making any footprint. You've got a couple of different ways you can do it. You can use proxy data, i.e. some academics have gone and calculated the footprint of a tomato and we will just use that data Mm -hmm. or are we going to go and actually collect real data for the tomatoes that are we farming actually our supply chain yeah and that that in itself i think makes is really difficult because the the thing that i can i can compare this to is a nutritional i was just gonna say nutritional yeah so you 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 make a product with tomatoes and beef and you run a nutritional and generally there or thereabouts every time you make that product because you're sourcing it from the same suppliers to it or if it's not from the same supplier to a specific spec you're going to get the same nutritional outcome but the thing that i keep thinking about is well a carbon a, a footprint of any kind it's going to be different because you might the, the way that tomato is farmed from one supplier could be very different it could be from a different country that you know and it's it's so complex I, I was just thinking that back to my produce days where you know the season might be yeah. Yeah, like five or six weeks and then you're moving to another country another yeah. country like how do you keep up with that on pack that's the so thing. there are there are ways of doing that i suppose it's how accurate do you want your data mm. um does it need to be you know, to the 0.001% level of accuracy in order to enable a judgment to be made. And my view would be, no, it doesn't. Let's just get ballpark, yeah. you know, um, mm. roughly right versus precisely wrong is, uh, is what we often talk about. But I think if you think about, we can get a, an approximate eco-label footprint of a product using technology, it might take us a week or two. 
if we were going to do a full life cycle assessment of that product, it might take 12 months. Yeah. And then from an MPD perspective, you guys have changed the recipe by the time we finish the yeah. LCA. Yeah. So yeah. it's too late. So that process doesn't work. There, there are ways of doing it quickly. I think a really big challenge for the industry going forward, though, is um, whether that's going to be acceptable because mm-hmm. there's quite a lot of lobbying um, that's going on at the moment around whether that level of detail is ac- actually accurate enough. So, um, for example, um, if you were putting on pack that an alternative protein was better than a meat alternative, if you were using only approximate data, would that be enough? Mm, to make in, a claim, is it, yeah. yeah. Mm. It, claims is going to be huge. So this and area then, is going yeah. to be and that's exactly why I think this is such an interesting topic now, because it's with right at the infancy. And I can just see with all the legislation around health claims and nutrition claims and everything that goes with that. This is it, it's exciting, but it's also quite alarming, <laughs> I think. It is. And I think most people working in sustainability, they're quite happy with the having something that's roughly right quickly mm. because from a kind of you know climate emergency perspective we've got and you know 2030 is a looming deadline in terms of when we're trying to hit carbon reduction targets by and we've got a decade of action we just haven't got time to mess about with yeah um what is it precisely and let's do yes, a life cycle let's be really yeah and actually, about yeah it. and actually when you look at because there are certain there are certain ingredients that are, are surprising and just having that knowledge, I think when we were talking on Sven, I I'd identified a particular ingredient, which is only used in low levels, but it's it's very carbon emitting because of the process that it goes through. Just having that knowledge as a developer is really interesting knowledge and it can feed into the business at broader levels. So I think, you know, having having the conversations and getting the data is really, really useful. Um, and it does it does give you something new in your toolbox as a as a business to be able to work with, which is is really interesting. So because I work with quite a lot of startups, um, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is for, for smaller businesses that don't have an Andy, <laughs> what advice can you give and where can they start? Okay, um, I don't want to disappoint people, but the, let's, let's backtrack. So I suppose... <laughs> The first thing is, look, have a baseline, I suppose. is the free, look, Knowing where you're starting from is a really important thing to do. And I suppose that the challenge is, well, how do you get that baseline? Um, which I'll, I'll come on to. I think the first thing I'd say is go beyond packaging. Loads of effort, um, undoubtedly, in the last few years, with good reason, has gone into packaging, but it has become kind of the issue that we need to talk about um, and I certainly find that outside of sustainability circles, in commercial circles, that's what they want to talk about. Mm. But actually, from an impact perspective, the majority of cases, packaging is, is not where it's at. Mm. It's an important issue, but it's not, it's, it's not um, the biggest issue to take care of. So the biggest issue is undoubtedly the ingredients and understanding more about those ingredients is what I encourage everyone to do in terms of the supply chain and are there any high risk raw materials in in what you're producing issues of deforestation like palm oil and and soy any certification schemes for ingredients um 
the location uh, are your ingredients local actually from a sustainability perspective local isn't always better but it's um, really important to understand the sourcing locations for a number mm-hmm. of reasons um, it can help us in risk assessment in terms of country of origin can give you information on water use on biodiversity impacts on human rights impacts so it's that's a massively important point in itself mm-hmm. and also things like are you air freighting for ingredients because mm-hmm. air freight um, normally means it's going to have a seriously high carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. I suppose the bit I was slightly reticent about is though that I have this challenge a lot in that people want easy answers. <laughs> people want black and white. Just tell me what to do. <laughs> and I'm really sorry, but it doesn't exist. Um, simple rules. That it's not simple. And in sustainability, what we're trying to do is balance many different impacts and offset them against each other. So your example, Lucy, you might improve the carbon footprint of a product by changing an ingredient, but you might increase the water footprint. Possibly. Yeah. Or you might introduce an ingredient with an inherent human rights risk or have an impact on animal welfare. So from the eco-labeling perspective, we've not even mm. talked about the impacts mm. of animal welfare. So how do you compare that one risk against another? How do you mm. weigh that up? And mm-hmm. it's, an, it's really an ethical decision rather than a spreadsheet decision. Yeah, Yeah. I suppose it's the business having understanding what their messaging is and what their values are as a business, isn't it? To be able to make some of those decisions. Definitely. I think, yeah, especially with brands, it's like a purpose led brand in terms of what are you what are you trying to what what are you trying to be famous for? Is it just, well, making loads of cash is not really very um, on the money these days. So it's uh, having a cause and understanding what that product is trying to deliver. And from a own label supplier perspective, I guess there's you're obviously selling into lots of different retailers, and they they've all got their own brand standards, and and mm. they might might weight things with different you know importance. So that must get super complicated. I can see why they needed Andy where you're at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, every retailer has their own sustainability strategy. Has multiple policies in place for every different issue that we talked about Mm. and there are differences but generically i like to think we're all working in the same direction yeah and ultimately it's all about reducing the impact of products so generically you can get a good view of where everyone's the direction everyone's heading in and are the food industry wide initiatives and stuff like that i'm coming from a place of knowing nothing so yeah, hundreds, like on every issue. Yeah. Too many to mention, but yeah, depends what your particular issue is. There will undoubtedly be an industry group that can help support mm. um, in, in some guys. So I guess, you know, thinking about Lucy's smaller suppliers that she works with, that's that's a place to start. You know, if you've got your baseline and you're then starting to mm. realise that there might be an issue, it's go and seek out those forums yeah, without doubt. And I can probably give you a list as long as, as my arm in terms of um, where to go and find those people and who they are. And a lot of the free resource, actually, there's a lot of good people working in the industry that. Um, mm. That would be of. that would be really useful, actually, to share some resources. Mm. And one of the things that I was thinking about as well is how you think the food industry compares to other industries in the UK. Because I, my perception is that we are very good in the food industry. At least we talk about it a lot. Do are other? I know all industries are talking about it, but I feel like in food, 
it is something, and probably maybe this stems from the fact that we've been talking about packaging from a sustainability perspective for, for many, many years. But I feel like we are a forward-thinking industry on the sustainability front. Yeah, I've, I'll be careful. I think it depends who you talk to. If you if we had NGOs with us today, I'm sure they'd say, mm, you could try a bit harder, guys. Um, <laughs> so it depends who you're talking to. I think, yeah, the sustainability industry, if from a UK food perspective, is pretty advanced. We are getting into some... Um, serious topics and and down the supply chain in terms of the impacts it needs to be though the impact's huge and um we need to make traction really quickly so i definitely don't think it's time to be patting anyone on the back just yet mm -hmm. I, I think the challenge if you think about it not not saying the uk are ahead of anyone else but globally the food industry is one of the most destructive one of the most impactful on the planet Mm -hmm. um, it used to be kind of big oil that was the, the most hated industry, but genuinely food is a close second yeah. um, in, in that kind of, and you, most people probably wouldn't think of it like that. Um, I guess it does make sense though, doesn't it? Because of the, because we package things and we're making the processing things and it's how. It's the interconnectivity of all those supply chains as well. So yeah. Um, uh, it's estimated that a third of total global carbon emissions are from food. Mm. Oh, um, meat is one of the biggest issues around that. It's yeah, a big contentious one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but meat accounts for more than half of all emissions to related to food production. Wow. Um, and a lot of that is because of we grow crops to feed to animals. So yeah. Livestock uh, takes up about three quarters of global farming land, and it only produces about eighteen percent of the world's calories. So, yeah, and it, not necessarily in the UK. The UK, yeah, um, as a whole, a, a different makeup in terms of how we produce meat, but globally, that's mm, uh, mm. an impact. And there's other issues as well. So, from uh, obviously, the issue of making the food has many issues. But we waste loads of food as well. So mm. yeah, we just we've made it. We've got loads of issues associated with it. But nearly a third of all food produced is wasted, mm. um, which is pretty mind blowing. Um, half the food purchased in London apparently is never eaten. Um, shocking, isn't it? It's it's horrifying. And, it's and when people and, are going to food banks, yeah, as and well. people are starving throughout the world. It's just exactly yeah. and, and, insane. Totally, in, in this moment that we're in at the moment as well, more so more than ever. Mm. Um, there's a stat that always does the round that there are now more food banks in the UK than there are branches at McDonald's. Oh. It's it's astonishing. There's millions of people um, in desperate need, um, and yet at the same time, the kind of the health agenda: a third of Britons are obese, mm. um, and another third are overweight. So. Um, there's multiple interconnecting issues when we talk about sustainability from a food industry perspective. Yeah, it's a very complex subject, isn't it? I feel like we've, we're, we've opened a can of worms <laughs> and uh, half an hour isn't enough to talk about this. Yeah, sorry it, about that. It does really, it, it's, it's incredible. And what you, you sent over some, you've, you've thrown some statistics out which are really, really interesting. And one of the things that you put was related to obesity. Um, and the, the spend of weight loss surgery last year, I think, was thirty-eight million pounds, compared to the healthy eating campaign spend was five point two million. 
Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And there's lots of issues within the food system that, that don't make any sense. Um, lots of intercompeting issues. Um, so yeah, one document I'd really recommend for anyone in the food industry to have a look at is uh, National Food Strategy. It's a document that came out by a chap called, well, it was Government Commission, but Henry Dimbleby was the author. And that came out last year. And that's a really uh, big picture look at the food system in the UK and the issues around it. Um, I suppose the, the government response came out to it a couple of weeks ago to fairly lukewarm response from the food industry, actually. Yeah. That's, that's probably for another day. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, and uh, it, and I remember when that came out, I remember looking at it and thinking, oh, there's so much. There's so much in here. I don't even know where to start reading it. But I imagine by now there's been lots of synopsises put out as well about about all of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's loads, loads, good reading. Yeah. yeah. So in when we were exchanging emails, you sent over something which I don't, I, it's a question which I'm going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which a is. A catchy moment, is it? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> if you had a magic wand, what would the three main things that you would fix for implementing net zero strategies be in the food system in general? That's nice and easy. Thanks for that one. Uh, much appreciated. <laughs> I should be careful with my emails. Um, I think I've got to think about the consumer angle. So I think we've got to be able to give consumers um, the knowledge and the choice in order to buy sustainably. And to do that, I would, with my magic wand, have mandatory eco-labeling on all products. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of like food businesses, I think sustainability is becoming more prominent, but we could definitely increase the pace of that by ensuring that sustainability measures are considered alongside financial ones within every commercial agreement. So I kind of make sure it's embedded into category plans. I think that mm-hmm. would be a, a wish. And then I think there's a holding your feet to the fire piece in terms of transparency. Um, And that was a recommendation actually in the national food strategy, but um, transparent reporting for all food businesses on their sustainability, non-financial measures alongside their financial ones. So the the same kind of robust process to reporting your financial numbers as to reporting your sustainability numbers as well. Yeah. So really creating some accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you have to put your put your accounts out there, yeah. And so, just talk if you're happy to. Uh, it might be a bit difficult, so like we might just take this bit out. If you're like, no, but it's just come into my head because we talk about all the time. Like me and Lucy have got a very much MPD background, and one of the things that can be really difficult is working cross functionally and getting all those people to come together and and like you say you're in there delivering bad news or like trying to get the agenda as important in the same way we would be like this ingredient is or mm. it needs to taste this good and, and commercial might be saying to us yes but it needs to be cheaper and we need to you know it's it's balancing all of those things how do you do that <laughs> It's a good question. I might need a phone in on this one from people that I've worked with. But um, (laughs) I suppose in my head, sustainability now, it's, I suppose, historically, product development, product management was kind of a three-legged stool of 
certainly cost, quality, and technical food safety issues from mm-hmm. a, from a, a food product perspective. Um, and that just isn't enough anymore. Sustainability has to be considered as one of those kind of core principles. Mm. So I think it's about how um, we embed it into those processes. And from my perspective, we do that with a, a combination of what I've been told is um, logic and magic. So every argument needs logic and every argument needs a bit of magic as well. So mm-hmm. when we go and talk to them, we try and get everybody in a room and talk about what the issues are from a sustainability perspective. And then how as a collective, we can make sure that the process hits the buttons it needs to from a product development perspective. Yeah. And it can't just be about how cheap is it, what are the financial costings or mm. how great does it taste, but how sustainable is it as well? Yeah. So it really needs to become part of, because it, it, me and Lucy, we did run some training last week on gate processes, you know, like mm. helping mm. smaller manufacturers or smaller brands understand the gate process and it, it's part of that isn't it it needs yeah. to at the you know thinking about some of the stuff we shared it was probably more financial or you know the things that we've traditionally always thought about in product development but actually all of those sustainability thick bits need to be added into that mm. process so we're thinking about it right back at the start not just at the retrofit oh what's the carbon footprint we yeah. need to think it's, about it's it. knowing what questions to ask as well because I found that when I was asking suppliers some of the information I needed to be able to get the carbon footprint, they didn't have the answers or it took them ages, you know, and that has definitely got better even in the 12 months I've been doing it. You know, people are more responsive. But some of the things that I was asking for, they'd never been asked for before. Mm. But it is going to become more of the norm for sure because, and especially if it became mandatory, it would definitely, you know, it would have to be, on specs and available yeah and there's i think knowing the questions to ask is one thing but i, th- I think we can probably manage the questions it's you're absolutely right it's giving the answers yeah and i think that slowly but surely that is coming online there are numerous databases that you can use now from a, a sustainability impact perspective and there's numerous software providers that um, mm. help turn that so in the same way that you go and search an ingredient and think about nutritionals mm-hmm. yeah in in time and it won't be long um months rather than years we'll be able to do that from a sustainability perspective as well mm. that's good that helps doesn't it it's it's the tools and systems in place to make it easier will is what will make it happen yeah yeah having the data because at the moment it's a subjective conversation and you need to have some data behind it without yeah doubt. yeah yeah so we've we have we've you have answered this in a way but i just wanted you to give a summary of what you see as the biggest things that we should be doing as as individuals that work in the food industry you know what what do you want what message do you want to give people working in development commercial technical in the food industry that we can that we can do as a collective listeners today what what should we be doing as individuals yeah well um, okay, so I've stolen this line from a, a good friend of mine in the industry, but I think every job is a sustainability job. That's the main mm. thing to consider. So from my perspective, I suppose I've done my job when the sustainability team is no longer needed because we've just embedded it into everybody else. So everyone else is building their thinking into core processes. So the challenge would be... Um, from an MPD perspective, from a finance perspective, from a procurement perspective, commercial operations, 
how is sustainability considered in your everyday processes? Because mm-hmm. this isn't an add-on for the sustainability team to deliver. Yeah. This is mm-hmm. every yeah. department can have a, an impact in this. Um, and that, that would be it. Mm. Yeah. Great advice. Just, yeah. just get that stuff embedded into what you into the everyday. It's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. This is really, it's it's such an interesting topic. There's 10 different episodes that we could do on this. <laughs> We could, have we, could have, we could have the Andy Wright series. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I can, like, I can definitely like... give you a few people to steer that might be a bit more expert than me on various topics. <laughs> we, we really appreciate you, you giving us the time and, and um, your knowledge because it is definitely something which every business is looking at at some level so it's yeah. um I'm sure everybody is going to have found this really really interesting. Yeah. I, I put a poll on my LinkedIn and lots of people said they didn't know very much but it was something they wanted to know more about and it's because it's it's a hot topic but it's it's a beast of a topic as well isn't it so as we just discovered yeah if um anyone listening wants to connect with you what's the best way to do that Are you is it linkedin where, where Ooh, yeah. yeah um linkedin probably um on um linkedin um, I think I'm even on Twitter somewhere or other. Um, okay. <laughs> and you can certainly get me um, via uh, Greencore as well. Okay, fabulous. Thank you so much. I, I feel like I I feel like I've gone from the the place I was before I spoke to my pension advisor <laughs> <laughs> to feeling like I've got no clue. I don't know what I can do. I know I need to do something. It's really important to actually I, I have a much better understanding so thank you you've <laughs> you're gonna go away going how has she compared me i've to managed to make sustainability <laughs> boring which is a real real no that, that's my point it's important <laughs> and you've made it interesting yeah and absolutely and no longer scared to think about it or talk about it so thank you so much yeah thanks, guys. thanks, thanks very much andy Thank you for joining us today and we hope that this has been useful to you. As ever, we would love it if you could rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. It really does help us reach and support more foodies out there. We'd also love it if you'd come and join us in the Facebook group, the O for Food Sake community. And if you want to get in touch with us personally, Lucy is available for consultancy advice and training and can be found on LinkedIn as Lucy Wager. And if you want to reach out to Amy for any one-to-one coaching, group facilitation or training, then contact her on LinkedIn at Amy Wilkinson Coach. Thanks for listening and see you next time. See you next time.